Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. There's, there's few stories in the Bible that are scary to me, and these are one of them. Because it's the Lord laying out what the end time will look like when he's calling his bride to himself. Somebody recently said, if the disciples were living in the last days, we are living in the last minutes. It doesn't take a prophet to look around to see things unfolding rapidly. Everybody hear what I'm saying? Unfolding rapidly. And it almost seems as if we're in the closing moments of the Lord's coming, but I'm not going to give you any dates. (laughs) I would never do that. The scripture is clear that no man knows the day nor the hour except the Lord and the angels of the Lord. But Jesus is giving this parable about a supper. Everybody say supper. This is very important. This stood out to me this morning. Again, he didn't say dinner because suppers are important because when I was a kid, now I told my mom this the other day, that about 2 p.m. every day, except for Wednesday night. Wednesday night, I cannot be home in the evening. There's a couple nights actually a week sometimes, but most of the time, I'm I'm able to be home about four evenings out of the week. Some of those days are 16-hour days, much longer days, but but we talk about two o'clock because we're excited about supper. And one of the things I'll say to my wife is, what are we having? You know, like, <laughs> now she's telling, can, can ushers, can you, we're having a disruption right in the front row. Can we usher her out of here? She says, I start at 8 a.m. in the morning. It is true because my 8 a.m. is like people's lunchtime. I'm up, you know, 5 a.m. in the morning. And I'm like, you know, I'd like steak or I'd like this for dinner. But it's not the food that I'm, well, yeah, it is a little bit about the food. But more than that, it's about what happens at the supper table. Again, I didn't say dinner because most of the United States, well, everybody has dinner. But dinner, you can have alone. That just means you ate a meal. Supper is different for a Southerner. Supper, we carve out at the beginning of that day. We talk about what we're going to have. And there is no phones allowed at the table. I know that's hard for the millennials. Like there's a basket right over there. You're not allowed to have that thing. No Facebook, no Twitter, no Instagram, no TikTok. Don't worry, it's only an hour. You won't start jittering. You're going to live, you know. You know, people are away from their phones for too long. They start, you know, having like a withdrawal. Because something happens at the table, and you have to understand the language that Jesus is using, because what happens at the supper table is something we call intimacy. Into me, you see. Relationship. Because it's at that dinner table, and our dinner table, sometimes it's a little chaotic. We have kids, you know, pray for us. We try to have a little bit of peace, and then but sometimes it turns into joking with each other, laughing, talking about the day. What do they make at school? We talk about issues. We try not to talk about serious stuff at the table because it's the supper table. 
We want to talk about things that matter. And I believe that we're in a season of time where dinners with the Lord are no longer going to suffice. He is calling his bride, whether you're male or female, I know you men, that's hard for you to swallow that one, but we are all his bride. Why are you his bride? Because you, 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 you know as well as I do, my wife, we have a, unfortunately there's a cat too, but we have a dog and a cat and a lizard. Ollie is the dog. The cat, what's her name again? I'm just kidding. Her name is Lola. I'm learning to love her, okay? I see some of them are like they're getting mad because there's a few cat lovers in the room. It depends on the day, and I like her sometimes. And then there's a lizard. His name is Phoenix. And my daughter asked what the last name of the animals was this morning. (laughs) And my wife said, that's, you know, Ollie Smith and Lola Smith. And who was it? What's Lola's real name? And she said, that's her real name? And I said, yeah. And she said, Lola Smith. Oh, she said Lola Smith, our four-year-old. And he said, Smith. You know what I thought about? I thought about how when the man marries the woman. See, when you get married, like there's an individual I'm about to, uh, I'm about to um, uh, officiate the wedding. What happens is the man, he, many times he doesn't know what he's getting himself into. And the woman doesn't either. But the man, he is saying to that dad, that father who's giving away that bride, that daughter, I am assuming responsibility for her. I am becoming her provider. I am becoming her protector. But much more than that, because the Apostle Paul gives the depiction on what love should be. He says, even as Christ loved the church, the man is supposed to love the woman. Now, how did Christ love the church? He bled for her. And so for you men, whether you're male or female, Christ purchased you. That's what makes you his bride, because he bled for you. He bled for us. Say, he bled for me. And if you look all throughout Scripture, from Genesis, from when Jesus, God, Jesus, developed the world, created the world, from Genesis chapter 1, when the Spirit of God hovered over the earth, created the garden with Adam and Eve, there was this, what's the first thing that God created other than the beast of the field? The only part of his creation where he took a part of himself and breathed into the dirt and breathed into the nostrils of Adam and made a living spirit. And what did he create out of two people? A marriage. All the way from Genesis, all the way through the Bible, when you end in the book of Revelation, what are we seeing happening? The marriage supper of the Lamb. All throughout history, we are climaxing towards something. We're moving towards something, and it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus is giving parable, parable after parable. And he's saying, get ready because you're my bride, and I'm doing something in you. I'm I'm making something out of you. I'm preparing you. I'm making you ready not to just be a bride. God wants more than a bride. He wants a spotless bride that is wrinkle and spot-free. This is why many of us are experiencing trouble right now. Like, how does that relate? Trouble purifies. Trouble makes us ready. 
I thought about this this morning. I'm going down a bunny trail. Is this okay? What works for one does not work for another. Never, never try to duplicate. Never try to duplicate another man or woman where they're seeing results in the Lord. It can't be duplicated. It cannot be duplicated, Ronnie. And here's why. Here's what the Lord was showing me this morning. This was so profound to me. I was like about to start writing this down. Look at how the, what the Lord used in Joseph's life. He used a pit in Joseph's life. Tragedy. Look at, all of us are going through different circumstances, but the Lord is sanctifying us all as his bride, making us ready for himself. But he used a pit for Joseph. But he didn't use a pit for Moses. A pit wouldn't have been a sacrifice for Moses. Moses liked being alone. God will use that which is sacrificial to you. If you are a natural giver, God will not tell you to give it all away. But if you're stingy, he will. Moses liked being on the backside of the desert. Throw me in the pit. That's not a sacrifice. What was Moses' sacrifice? Leadership. Leadership was his sacrifice. They're all probably trying to guess what mine is now. And guess what? Leadership wouldn't have been Paul's sacrifice. He was an educated man. The Bible says that he knew the, the Torah. He knew the first five books of the Old Testament. He was trained. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the chief of them. He could speak different languages. He remembered the Bible, first five books of the Bible verbatim. He was an educated man. He was a smart man. He was a teacher. So what was his sacrifice? He had notoriety. At the end of his life, you see him talking about what his sacrifice is. And remember how he talks about when he preaches the cross and he says, I count everything else as dung. Everything else is foolishness to him. Everything that he learned, everything had become foolishness to him. So his sacrifice was letting all of his education go. Do you see how God, when he finds you, he finds out what your weakness is. And he doesn't point out your strengths. You try to show him your strengths. He doesn't want to see your strengths. And you keep trying to show him, I'm good at this. I'm good at that. Let's use this in my career, Lord. He's like, no, 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 no. That won't create dependency. Because my power is made perfect in weakness. God doesn't move in your strengths. He moves in your weaknesses. He moves in our weaknesses. He doesn't look for your strength. You know how you really know you're growing as a Christian? Is when, when you feel like you're digressing. Can somebody move these, please? It's when you feel like you're digressing 
It, when you feel like God's pulling all of your, the things that used to work in last season, he starts pulling them all away from you. All of the things that used to work no longer work anymore. And then he starts, why? He's not trying to humiliate you. He's trying to position you so he can make his strength perfect in your weakness. And where Paul was used the most, then you see God making his strength in his chains. So, so what am I trying to say? God will oftentimes go after your weak parts so that he can make his strength perfect in that weakness so that he can make you look more and more each day as you ever grow more and more dependent on him until you become that spot and wrinkle-free bride that he wants to make out of you and out of me. Until you reflect his image. You ever seen a person walking their dog, they kind of look like them? We're not supposed to tell people that. Never tell someone they look like their pet. But have you ever seen it? Come on, we're talking off the record. Are we recording? Isn't that so funny? One time I saw this great Dane. No, I'm just kidding. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 through 10. And I heard, as it were, the voice of the great multitude and the sound of many waters and as the sound of many mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife, who's her wife, who's his wife, excuse me, who is his wife? For the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, right, blessed, are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, this was an angel of the Lord, see to it that you do not do that. Never worship angels, guys. Angels are not to be worshiped. Only Jesus is to be worshiped. He said, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant. I found it, Rick. Angels are servants. Anyway, we were having a theological debate. And your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, I want, I want, to, I want to just, I wanted to lay that out because this is talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I believe that we are in that dispensation of time where Jesus himself, the Lord himself is making us ready to become the bride that he's desired us to be. A lot of people talk about the Lord coming, the Lord coming. You know, why not? you know how I know it's not tomorrow? Because we don't fully look like the bride yet. We've still got a few wrinkles. We've still got a few stains. Come on, America still has some of her act to clean up. The globe still has some of her act to clean up, but she can't clean up her own act. It's only by the shed blood of Jesus that the church can be purged. Come on, that our teens would come back to the Lord. It's going to take the blood of Jesus, a wave of the blood of Jesus moving through our government and through our homes and through our schools and universities to clean up the body of Christ. 
And do you know what I, I believe some of these stains are? Excuses. You thought I forgot about Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter 14. I want to read these three excuses. The first said to him, remember, remember Luke chapter 14? Can we put it back up on the screen? It says, the first said to him, excuse me from the wedding. I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Now, what does this speak of? This speaks of a person who elevates leisure above love. Leisure above love. What do I mean? Leisure activity. Choosing the things of this world above Christ, above your relationship with God. And as soon as God, even if he called you, even divinely through a burning bush, many of us in the midst of our burning bushes are still making excuses. I have a stuttering problem or I have a golf game to be at. Come on, am I talking to the right church this morning? We make all these excuses in replacement of God and we wonder why the church is hurting. I don't mean this church, I mean the church at large. Number two, so number one could, could relate to either leisure or personal interests. Bought his own ground. Let me go see it first. Let me take care of my personal needs. I really believe that a church is about to rise up and I feel it so, I've felt this for 15 years. That there is about to be a remnant of believers that is going to put all personal interests aside and make his kingdom their priority. No matter what the cost. And number two, another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. That is a person who elevates their business and their work above Christ, above the Lord. For me, it was where I fell on the spectrum. I'd been in business for 20 some years and I remember I was just climbing this ladder. I was a service provider climbing the ladder. And I remember the day the Lord spoke to me. The Lord was ministering. He wanted me to, I, I was an associate pastor at the time. I remember this several years ago. And I, and I, I was very content in working in the field because I'm kind of like uh, that guy I mentioned in the Old Testament. I do loneliness well. Leadership is a sacrifice for me. Talking in front of people is a sacrifice for me. I'm a natural uh, recluse. I'm very, very, it's very easy for me. But for me, this is where I fell on the spectrum. And I remember the day I was climbing a six-foot ladder and it was like almost like thunder. It wasn't audible. I heard the Lord say, this is the last time you climb a ladder full-time. And he said, when are, you, when are you going to stop building your own kingdom and start building mine? We have gotten too busy. Too busy for Jesus. Too busy building our own thing. The scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God and all of its righteousness and everything else would be added. You'd be surprised how many people focus on finances. And that's not bad things. They focus on their career. They focus on their marriages. They focus on all these different things. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, I know the church has not done well with abusing people's time. 
I understand that. They've not done well serving people in that capacity, people being overused. But there is such thing of neglecting God's work. And what I have found out is that when we roll up our sleeves and take care of God's stuff, he takes care of ours. When we prioritize his heart, he makes ours priority. And thirdly, he, he said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. And this relates to family. I, I can't tell you how many times me and Steph have come home with our two kids. And oftentimes on Sunday, you know, I'm up at 4 a.m. just trying to hear, hear what the Lord is saying. I'm just talking to him, just spending time with him. Sometimes I'm not even studying. I'm just sitting there for an hour or two. It's, it's really the only time I can just where nobody bothers me at 4 a.m. I find out when people stop calling me and I just start waking up at that time. But sometimes we, we don't get home until sometimes six o'clock on a Sunday, whether it's you know fellowship after or something ministry related. And I need my own spiritual nourishment for the Lord. And I, I know we've had our kids and we're just beat tired. And I'm like, honey, we have to get to the house of the Lord. We need to be, we need to be plugged in ourselves. And how many know it's important, even though you give the word of God, it's much more important to, to make sure you get the word of God for yourself. Amen. Throughout the week, throughout the day, worshiping. And, and, and so what am I trying to say? The more I have found that I have, when I sacrifice for the Lord, it may seem like I am giving out power, I'm giving out energy, I'm sacrificing, but the Lord will revitalize you and strengthen you when you connect with him. Most people have not caught the revelation that when they are hurting in a certain area, they don't realize that the pit that they dig somebody out of will be the very hole that they put their problems in. Whatever you need, give it. For it is better to than to receive. It's a spiritual principle. So if you're in need, you give. If your house is in need, serve God. Serve his house. Put your hands to the plow regarding his work and watch what the Lord does for you. I wanted to preach this message this morning. I know I have to close in, in just a minute. I know we have some things to do. But I believe that we're in the middle of an invitation from the Lord himself. An invitation inviting us into a deeper level of intimacy that we've never had before with him. Many of us are feeling drained. You know why we feel drained? It's because we lack intimacy. When a car runs out of gas or when a car is showing different signs on the dashboard that something's wrong, the worst thing you could do is keep driving. And many of us do this in our spiritual life with Jesus. We keep driving. We keep trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Give more, pray more, do more, serve more, all these different things. But I believe that we're coming into a season of time where we're going to, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Me and Rick were talking about this. That He said, we're a leadership church. And I believe that. And maybe you can release this word at the end of service today. But he said, we are actually a presence church. I love that. I have felt that since I was a teenager, that the Lord was going to help through us, through the leadership, build a house where his presence dwells richly and impacts people to that level. Because listen, your pastor is not your Messiah. The ministers here, they're not the Messiah. I think we all know that, 
but I believe we're going to enter into a time. I thought that worked well in the 90s and into 2000, but God shares his glory with no man. The Lord is about to build his house his way. How does he build his house? By his presence, by his word, by prayer, by intercession. And that's what breeds his presence. How many are ready to build something like that? And I believe that our garments that are stained, as he calls us to this wedding feast, as he calls us to the marriage supper of the Lamb, those stains that we have in our life as we sit in our present is gonna, uh, as, as we sit in his presence is gonna work like bleach on our garments, cleaning out things that we haven't been able to break off in years. Do you know, I've heard stories of people coming in here who are bound by pharmaceutical drugs, addicted to antidepressants. I'm not, I'm not demonizing that, okay? But I, there's something to be said about what God's presence can do to an individual where, where doctors don't have the ultimate answer. I've had people come in here who struggled for years, depressed, suicidal, and they come in here and say, Pastor, I don't know what happened, but I no longer have this addiction. I no longer have this need to do this certain thing. This addiction has been broken in my life. Why? Because the Lord lives in this place. But don't get it twisted because he doesn't dwell in a temple made with hands. He dwells in you and me. Say, he dwells in me. He dwells in me. Can I have just a couple more minutes? Is this okay this morning? Here's what's at his table. I'm going to give you a few points. What's at the table? What does a table represent? Provision. Provision. As he's inviting us to the table, this is why we can't resist intimacy with him. Many of us think we need this or that. No, you know what we need? Intimacy with Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus. You don't need another word. You don't need to get in another prayer line. Maybe you do. We need intimacy with Jesus. When we get Jesus, we get the provision. It all comes as def it's a default. When you get close to him, you get everything that's at his table. You get freedom. You get peace. You can keep going to the therapist. I'm not saying that's absolutely wrong. But above that, Jesus takes preeminence. He takes the cake. When you get him, you get peace because his name is the Prince of Even sustenance, not just emotionally where you, or, or from, a, from a perspective of just peace, but provision. Psalms 50, verse 10. I'm talking about what is available at the table. Say at the table. Psalms 50, verse 10 says this. For every beast of the forest is mine, says the Lord, and the cattle on a thousand hills, they're his. God withholds nothing back from his children who are intimate with him. As a matter of fact, do you know the only reason God will withhold? Because he wants closeness. I call it Holy Ghost, hide and seek. He hides. He never leaves you, but he withdraws and brings distance. Why? Because he wants you to pursue him. And he's so loving, he only distances himself very gradually until you finally wake up one day and say, Lord, where did you go? 
oh, that's right, I got that job and I started to withdraw from you. And he gives you time. That's how loving he is. He gives you time to quickly make it right and to recognize it and to re-engage with him. Number two, there is peace at his table. There's peace. How many can use a little peace? A little peace of mind, a little peace of soul. You cannot have the peace of God without intimacy. The sign of fear, fear is a sign of having a lack of intimacy with him. A troubled mind, finding no rest, is not a, it's not an indication that God doesn't love you and he's not blessing you. It's a sign of your distance with him. It's a sign of your lack of proximity. Do you know when I have... Listen to me. You can go through anything, anything, when you have his presence in proximity and intimacy with him. There's nothing you can't face. And listen to me. There's nothing... There's nothing you will face in this world that will not destroy you without his presence. Was that too wordy? There's nothing you can't face with Jesus, with his presence, as long as you're intimate with him. I've gone through my greatest life tragedies. And what, the way I've survived is my intimacy with Jesus. And the Lord is calling us back to that place. When you lose a loved one, as troubling as that is, intimacy with Jesus will see you through. You lose a career, that is debilitating if you allow it to be. But intimacy with Jesus will see you through. Best friends leave you. It'll set your world. It'll cause, it's like the world falling. I've had friends that I've had for 30 years no longer talk to me like that no more. It's amazing what happens when you start walking with Jesus and you actually have a standard. I mean, everybody is cool as long as you show up to the game. As long as you want to drink, as long as you want to hang out, you, you, we, but you bring up the Jesus stuff, we got a deal breaker. That shows you they're no longer your friends. They were never your friends. Amen? Start setting standards, moral standards. It's amazing how many people will leave you and forsake you. But God never will forsake you. He's always with you. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Come on, amen? Number three, he offers protection at the table. There is protection at the table. You know what I thought about? The church was birthed in the book of Acts. What were they experiencing in that culture that day? Roman oppression. They were being slain. Their children were being slain for their faith. Those little fish symbols that you see, do you know how that word developed? That was the, that was the religious symbol that the Christians used in hiding. They had certain knocks they'd have to knock on the door just to, just to reveal your, just to let them know that it's like Morse code. 
Morse code started in the book of Acts. It's how you identified yourself as a Christian and they would let you in. You would wear certain symbols. It was the fish symbol because Jesus said, I will make you fishers of, of men. So there was protection. The church, listen to this. No matter, I feel the Lord, what I'm about to say. You need not worry about what's happening in the world today because the church not only grew, but it thrived in the midst of oppression. You need to worry if you're not a child of God. What's happening and going to happen in the world? If you're not a child of God, you need to be concerned. If you are a child of God, you don't need to worry because you're at his table and he offers protection and God cares for his kids. He is their rear guard. He's their consuming fire. He is their armor. He is their provision. He is their peace. And not only will the church remember this, the church I really believe that we are entering into a time where the church is going to experience its greatest awakening in the midst of oppression, in the midst of a crooked world, in the midst of a crooked government and everything that's going on. There's a special place at the table for us in the Lord. And lastly, and you can stand to your feet. And this is my favorite When you're at the Lord's table, this is, this is so near and dear to my heart. I was a troubled little boy. I was so troubled, wasn't I, Mom? That's my mother, if y'all wonder why I keep picking on her. How much did I cry when I was a little kid? How many days went by? Oh, boy. Okay, I shouldn't ask that. Now my brother's... All right, it's too far. All right, we'll talk. We'll talk later. Pipe down. Hey, you know it's a good sign when your whole family comes to the church. It's true. I cried. I didn't know. I didn't know. As as a little boy, there was something in me. You, You know. You know, in that song that says, uh, show me your face, David knew there was something more than the ark of your presence. Is as a little boy, I had this innate feeling there was just something more to life. I couldn't put my finger on it. Many of you know my dad was murdered when I was nine. We went through a lot of things in family. I remember I, remember I was at a house and... Um, my mother didn't know about it at the time until she was told later. I remember, I don't know if I should go in this, I go into this Holy Spirit. I feel the Lord would permit me, but this person, my dad had left that my dad struggled with drugs and I was staying at my dad's house and this person left the house when they were supposed to watch me. I was probably four years old. I was Zoe's age. And uh, they turned the burners on the stove. They tried to light the house on fire. Left the, so I woke up to a, um, an alarm, the, the smoke alarm, and the house was about to go ablaze. 
And so I, I grew up with a lot of depression. A lot of stuff happened as a kid. A lot of stuff. Enemy tried to destroy me. Hit by a car. I woke up in a, you know, what do they call those? An MRI when they, you know, ran over by a car. Stepped out in front of an ice cream man. Stepped out. I was literally, ran, I don't remember it. It hit me so hard that it knocked me out of my shoes. My shoes was two houses. It was probably, uh, it was a catty corner house. It was in their front yard. So it flew about a 50 to 100 feet, knocked me out of my shoes. Thing, tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And I don't know, there was just something in me my whole life that says, Lord, there is something more. What that translated into when I, when I started into my teenage years is I didn't want to live. You know, I'm like, Lord, there's just something more. There's something more to life. And I finally, when I walked into that service that first time, never forget it. This is what I'd been looking for my whole life. The presence of the Lord was so beautiful. It changed my life. And from that moment forward, this was 20 years ago, I said to the Lord, I said, I want to live in this forever. You can face anything as long as you have the Lord's presence. Anything. And at his table, that is your inheritance. It's your inheritance. His presence is his promise to us, to you and me, no matter what you've gone through. You know what makes you worthy? It's not your past. Our past cannot make us worthy. It's only by the shed blood of Jesus. I believe it's in Hebrews. We have been brought near. I may be misquoting it, but... I'm not misquoting it. I may be, uh, maybe the text is found in another part of the Bible. I believe it's Hebrews. We have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. That's what brings us near. That's what brings his presence. So what is my challenge to you all this morning? Do not allow in this season of your life, do not allow your personal interests to keep you from the table. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. That person who has his own personal interest, their leisure, don't be that second person who allows their business or their work or their career get in the way. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. And then that other person who may not allow their personal interest or their business to interrupt their relationship with the Lord. Maybe they allow their family. Do you know what Jesus said? This is hard. These are hard words. Jesus said, unless you love your family more than me, you're not worthy of me. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. He's not saying don't love your family, but he's saying your love, your love for me in comparison. Everybody hear me? Say, I am to love Jesus above all else and above all others. This family guy says, I just got married. I have a wife and therefore I cannot come. This is why, can we pass out communion? I almost forgot. This is what communion 
is so symbolic and so, so important. So important. Do you know in the New Testament, the Bible calls communion the table of the Lord. Say it again. Of the Lord. It's where we're coming into union with the Lord. I'm going to read it as you're passing the communion elements out and then we'll close. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26. And it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Remember Jesus said, Do this often in remembrance of me. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. Go ahead and break that in your hands when you receive the elements. And if there's anybody who has not received, please slip up your hand. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Watch this. For as often as you eat this bread, what does the bread represent? His body. And as often as you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now what is in this bread? supposed to be bread. Just pretend. It's edible. Don't worry, ma'am. I don't know how, but it is. It dissolves. Here's what's at his table. His body is our sustenance. It gives us strength. It's daily bread. It is our food. It's what brings life to us. Do you know how many people are depressed? Was it um, Stephanie Gretzinger who said, I don't know who it was who said this, but, but they said if something along these lines, if the things of this world that we've tried do not bring satisfaction to us, it is a clear indication that we were not meant for this world. This is not our home. If your heart can't find home here, then that means it's not your home. Can I tell you where your home is? Jesus. He's home. And this brings us into oneness with him. So Lord, as we lift up this bread to you, you said my you said that your flesh is food indeed and your blood is drink indeed. We come to your table, Lord. Go ahead. Can you make it personal and just talk to him? Come on, in your own way, pray to him. Talk to him. Talk to the Lord. Lord, as we come to the table this morning, the table of the Lord, communion, as we come into union with you, as we take your body, we remember what you did on the cross for us. We come to you afresh, Lord, with a fresh commitment. Don't make this commitment unless you're serious, but if you, if you, if you mean it, 
I want you to just tell the Lord, I'm giving you my fresh commitment to come to the table. I don't want to miss the marriage supper of the Lamb because you are mine and I am yours, Lord. And I lay down every distraction. I lay down my personal interests. I lay down my business, my work. Lord, those things that busy me right out of a relationship with you, that busy me right out of intimacy with you, Jesus. I even lay down my family, Lord, as, as wonderful and as wonderful as a gift they are, Lord. Sometimes that can even become a distraction. So God, we lay it all down and we come to your table. We come to your table, Lord. We want to be one with you, Lord Jesus. We want to be one with you. As we take this bread, we remember your body that was stretched out that was lifted up high. Thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for taking our place on the cross in Jesus' name. Amen. Give me a little more, please. Just a little more. Thank you. Let's lift up this cup. This cup that represents the blood of Jesus. This is more than just a cup. It represents the holy blood of Christ that ran down his brow and out of his wounded side. Has the ability to wash away every sin in the sea of forgetfulness. Has the ability to transfer you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It has the ability to break every shackle, every stronghold, every addiction, all shame and guilt and condemnation. It has the ability to heal the most broken of hearts and to heal your past, even to heal a memory. I feel that from the Lord right now. In the name of Jesus, there's certain people in this room that are plagued with memories from the past, even from childhood. May as we take communion this morning in the very presence of the Lord, May your mind, your will, your emotions be healed. May that thing that has plagued you be severed from you in the name of Jesus so that you're free to be intimate intimate with Jesus like you never have before. In Jesus' name, you may receive. You may receive. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.